What's up, everyone? Just say thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoy the show, enjoy the content, just please make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the page on Instagram at Overcoming the Divide. Thank you. Welcome, everyone, for another episode of Overcoming the Divide. Today, we have on Robert Allen, special guest. Robert has extensive background in law enforcement, security, and intelligence. His experiences include service in the UN police mission in the Balkans and the State Department's diplomatic security mission in Israel and Afghanistan. Robert was also a part of the International Security Assistance in Afghanistan and Operation Iraqi Freedom. His law enforcement experiences are extensive as well. This includes service with the Jefferson Parish District Attorney and their Sheriff's Office, as well as the Port of New Orleans and Slidell's Police Departments. And currently, Robert is a professor of Homeland Security at Tulane University. Thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Of course, man. It's an absolutely awesome opportunity to speak with you. Unfortunately, it's just regarding a somber topic, to say the least. So with your experiences in law enforcement and security and intelligence all in all, I would like to start off with the Sheriff's Department regarding the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Now, there has been numerous things that have been coming out regarding the Sheriff's Department response, or to get more specific, the public safety response of those officers. Now, I want to hear your automatic thoughts when you think of it, of a public shooter in an area, what have you been trained and what have you been kind of told to do and how would you respond in a situation similar to that? Most policemen worth their salt. They're not going to question whether another officer did on scene. We try not to say I would have done this. I would have done that. Mm -hmm. I don't know the other officer's mindset or anything else. So I'll kind of leave it at that. But what I will do is go back to Columbine and um, Columbine really made a, a, a difference in the way that local law enforcement conducted business with active shooters. Because the old mindset was to contain the threat. And then during Columbine, while they were busy containing the threat, Klebo uh, and his buddy were walking around killing people. I mean, so that, okay, then it's like, okay, while we're busy containing the threat, these guys are walking around shooting people. So that really changed the way that SWAT teams and everybody else did business. So they started going more into a mindset of uh, attack the attacker. And that, that's where that mindset's got to come from. Because again, at the end of the day, while you're doing containment, Everybody else is just uh, the, the, the perpetrators inside are, are doing horrible things to, to good people. So what happened from what preliminary investigations and what I'm looking at before is that there was approximately 19 police officers in the area. And, and they're, they're making a comment that there was no effort to breach the room where Ramos was. Again, I'm not going to question another officer. I wasn't there. However, that's going against a little bit against the grain on what we were on what we are trained to do. Again, going back, you attack the attacker and you're going purely, purely from a defensive posture when you're containing a building to going into an offensive posture with like, hey, we're going to get this guy. Let's go get him. He's hurting people and let's go get him. So that, that's where you kind of ran into your problem. Uh, there was a belief that the shooter was isolated in a classroom where he could do no more harm. Uh, again, he's still in a classroom. I, you don't know the dynamics. I mean, you don't know what's going on. You could say he's in a classroom by himself. You could say he's held up. He's, he's turned into an active shooter to a barricaded subject. Again, a barricaded subject, the dynamics are going to change. Okay, that's when you're doing the negotiation, you're talking and everything else. However, when you start looking into some of these stuff, or some of these, some of the, some of these actions, 
you got to look at the fact that you don't know what you don't know. So in an abundance of caution, it would be in everybody's best interest to err on the side of caution and go get him. Just, just okay, fine. The chief's going to fire me. He's going to do whatever. He's going to do whatever because I ran into a building and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, if I saved one life, I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish. And that, that's my take on that. But again, I, I, I try not to question another officer on scene. I won't do that because in my experience, I don't like it being done to me. But again, there, there's a lot of variables in that equation. And, and at the end of the day, there's going to be more investigations. I think Parkland, where they said another officer didn't run into the building in Parkland, Florida, during a school shooting. I mean, the, the, the investigation, I, I tell people, Dan, that, that the incident, when the incident happens, that's the surface. Okay, now we're going to start peeling back layers of the onion. We're going to start looking at response times. We're going to start looking at 911 calls. We're going to start looking at radio traffic. All this radio traffic that the cops have is on, um, it's being recorded. So you have all that information and the investigators are going to sort through that and start trying to figure out what the hell has happened and what was going on. Uh, one of the things that I did read and I, I thought was pretty spectacular is that uh, I, I can't confirm this, but I read it somewhere and I'm trying to look at it right now. But I did read that it was a Border Patrol team that just happened to be in the area. And one of the Border Patrol agents was more like, hey, bros, follow me, lead the way. And he went in there and he he, he neutralized the threat. So, again, that a lot of speculation, a lot of new stuff, a lot of things of that nature. So uh, and believe me, man, there's going to be plenty of time to dissect this. I mean, it's going to go through litigation. It's going to go through processing. It's going to go through who else was involved. There's going to be a lot of stuff involved. Yeah, and I just want to correct myself because it says sheriff's department. It's actually uh, the depart Texas's Department of Public Safety. Department regards. of Public Safety. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to correct myself on that. And and what I know about DPS, DPS. I mean, everything I've read about them, I've I've met a couple of these guys. They seem like they're pretty squared away. I mean, they, they know what's what. So again, I, I'm before I pass judgment, and we all got to look back to. What would Dan do in the situation? What would Robert do in the situation? I mean, I, you wouldn't know my mindset. I wouldn't know your mindset. I don't know what the officer's mindset was. Uh, I read that one officer actually lost his kid in the incident. So, I mean, you just don't know what's going through somebody's mind at that point. I think that's a fair point, as you point as service level. But I also think it's fair that to say that they knew the shooter was in there shooting people, shooting people, right? So... I mean, that that much was clear. We knew that they knew that much at that moment. So you could say that was in their mind at minimum um, to further that. I have heard the analogy saying as and you brought up in, in the doctrine of dealing with school shooters. It's not a contained strategy anymore. It's an attack the attacker, more of an offensive compared to a defensive. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard the analogy being thrown around, which I, I see the value in it and the validity in it is what I should say that it it would be close to a fireman showing up to a fire and not going in the fire to extinguish it because of what might happen to them. Because you had someone on CNN, I believe speaking to Jake Tapper, law enforcement um, representative, I think associated with the, uh, the, that Department of Public Safety or say Sheriff's Office, saying that they were afraid of being shot. Now, that's I'm very sympathetic. I mean, I am a civilian. I, I don't I would never want to get shot either. But do you think that's. And like you said, you don't want to pass judgment, and I'm not exactly asking you to, but I would like to know your thoughts on how would how would that not be considered a failure in that part? Because um, to further my point, 
the public safety director, Steve McGraws, told, quoted, saying that, excuse me, quote, obviously this is a situation we failed in a sense that we didn't prevent this mass attack. But I can tell you, those officers that arrived on the scene and put their lives in danger, they saved other kids. Continuing, they kept him pinned down and we're very proud of that, unquote. Seems like we're on two different, like there's two different pages that are two different outlooks. One mm-hmm. side, like say, as this a representative was saying, and um, the sheriffs say uh, different um, people in the Department of Public Safety of Texas say as they pinned them down, which is true, say, but he also, it's also true. They barricaded himself in a classroom and killed 19 people. Right. I mean, 19 he, children, excuse me, 22 people in total. No, and to, the, and to that end, technically, he was contained. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll all agree with that. He was contained, but he, he's, he's contained just like uh, uh, the guys at Columbine and everything else. Yeah, okay, they were contained to the school, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're, they're still killing people. I mean, that's, that's where you've got to go in. And, and any, any police officer with assault, any police department and everything else, that Columbine changed, again, Columbine changed the way we did business. Assault, mm-hmm. go in, attack the attacker. We're going in, we're going to do this stuff. And, and, these, they, and the cops are going to take a beating on this one because it's one of the things I read said it was <coughs> 19 minutes or something like that before, or 44 minutes or something along those lines before he actually mm-hmm. went, or before the first officer actually went into the school. Believe me, between being in Afghanistan and Iraq and everything else, 44 minutes is an eternity when somebody's shooting at you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And, uh, again, I, I try not to beat up on cops. I mean, I got a lot of respect. There's, there's, there's 800,000 police officers in the country right now. I'd say 99.9% of them are good dudes doing a difficult job. But, again, at the end of the day, they're still standing up and saying the old Bible court, old Bible verse, uh, who, who will, I'm here, Lord, who will I send? Send me. I mean, that's, that's what we do. That's what you're supposed to do. So again, there, there's going to be more investigations. There's going to be more lawsuits and there's, and, and, and something that I, I think me personally that I would struggle to live with would be if I did nothing knowing that loss of life, that that's a, that's a, that's a burden that I, I can't even fathom to carry. I mean, it, it, when we're all adults and everything else and a police officer gets hurt, it's heartbreaking. We're, we're upset about it and everything else, but man, a kid, I mean, that, that kills you to your core. I mean, uh, losing a kid, especially some of these guys, I mean, I think they were 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 years old. I mean, that would just kill me to my core because I'm one of these people that no parent should ever outlive their kids. They should never outlive their children. So I, I'm, I'm just, I'm heartbroken over that. But again, going back to the same thing, I think there's going to be, trust me, there's going to be a lot of questions asked. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you, I guess you could, as you mentioned before, you can see that, you're alluding to the fact and probably and mentioned before that you have been taught and would have different approach, even though you, like you said, you don't want to pass that kind of judgment, but it appears because there is a lot of outrage about this, how this reaction was handled just initially. Oh, dude, I, I tell you right now, if I was on the end of that as a parent, I'd be ill as a snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like by all means, by all means. And that is where like the questions with, um, the officers there pretty much are in question. And it's hard to give more than take at face value because it's what else could have been involved that, that swayed them to the other side because you're saying there's going to be a lot of litigation, a lot of questions asked, but what other questions really need to be asked besides why didn't you go in? That's, 
That is between the person that didn't breach the door and God. I also want to segue into the shooter himself, not by name, but just also background. Now, he is someone who's just turned 18 a week or two before, purchased two uh, assault rifles legally, and passed a background check. Do you believe that certain uh, places in the country need stricter gun law, gun control laws reform? Do you think that's a part of the overall um, mission to getting to, say, a safer space for children specifically? Well, first of all, I mean, the, the, I, do I believe in background checks? Absolutely. You will not, again, I'm not one of these Second Amendment chess beaters and all that other stuff. Do I believe in the Second Amendment? Absolutely. Everybody should have the right, the legal right to keep and bear arms. I think that is a constitutionally protected right. However, do I think that I need to go through a background check to buy a gun? Yeah. Do I think you need to go through a background check to buy a gun? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, but the problem is you got these organizations that will just literally fight you tooth and nail and not even want to sit down in good faith and negotiate. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that there's got to be, and just like your podcast, I mean, there's got to be getting rid of the divide and sitting down and having that 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 deep conversation, like take politics out of it, take take uh, all the emotions out of it and just have a legitimate conversation about these things. Do I think arbitrarily banning all uh, AR-15 style rifles would do it? No, that's not, that's, that's absurd to even think so. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, <clears throat> do I think that there should be background checks to buy an AR-15 style? Yeah, absolutely. I got no issues with that. Buy a pistol? Yeah, absolutely. I got no issues with that. But you look at um, going back in some of the um, school shootings, how many, how many people can actually say in a school shooting that the, sh the weapon the shooter had was purchased legally? In this case, yes, it was. It was purchased legally. But my question would be, how can an 18-year-old buy that kind of rifle? I mean, that's Daniel Defense is a, is a pretty serious rifle. I mean, it's quality. It's not a piece of junk or anything like that. So, I mean, I, did he work? Did he have jobs? Did he have any number of things or anything like that? But Again, I believe do he I worked at Wendy's. Just huh? for, I said, I believe he worked at Wendy's. I yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish I could work at Wendy's and afford a $2,000 rifle. I mean, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be changing the style of my life too. But again, I'm not going to get into that. And that's going back to what we were saying earlier. There's going to be plenty, plenty of time to discuss this. Now, that being said, do I think the cops can arrest their way out of this? No, that, that's, that, that's, not, that's just not going to happen. And where I get sideways with a lot of people segueing into something else is that we've discussed red flag laws. We're looking at a history of mental illness and all the other stuff. Some of the things that I saw here um, was, let's see, he, he openly abused animals such as cats, uh, would live stream abuse on, on, on a social media platform. Uh, he would also live stream himself threatening to kidnap and rape girls using the app to threaten to commit school shootings. Now, I'm not the best intel officer out there, or the best policeman out there, but I would call that a clue or an indicator. No, for, and, for sure. And again, the, 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 the tough part is, is hindsight's 2020. I mean, you, you never know, because I equate it to like building a puzzle from the inside out. We all know when we build a puzzle, we build the frame, and we start building it in. When you're getting stuff like this, you're literally starting from the middle and building out. And that, that's where you run into your tricky stuff. But again, uh, there, there's things out there. I mean, he... There's indicators out there. And going back to the, the DHS models and some of the other stuff, if you see something, say something. I mean, it wouldn't have been anything for the cops to go talk to this kid. I mean, something's going on and everything else, the red flag laws. Um, 
going into another segue of something else, uh, I'll offer red flag law, red flag laws. I really absolutely think that we've got to address a mental illness issue in this country. There, there are so many things out there where we've got to take a look at this. And until we start doing that other stuff, I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough for us to actually save lives. I, I agree. I Overall, I would say I, I agree. I don't think uh, arbitrary banning ban on all AR type assault rifles would yield not yield the result that we're going mm -hmm. for. Um, I mean, Columbine happened in 1999 when they were still banned. So mm -hmm. that's uh, just something to point out. And I was looking at actually some research from two criminologists, James Densley and Jillian Pearson. They actually put together a database of mass shootings dating back to 1966 and mass public shootings. And just to be clear, because you hear numbers thrown out left and right, this is the 212th mass shooting of the year. They define a mass public shooting as, quote, incidents in which four or more victims are murdered with at least one of those homicides taking place in a public location and with no connection to underlying criminal activity, such as gangs or drugs, unquote. Now, in that definition, they found that there has been 13 of those mass public shootings since 1966, the first of which dating back to 1989 in Stockton, California. And some of the highlights of that were, one, four of those shootings, including the one at the most recent one at Robb Elementary, involved in killing at another location, and it was always a family member. Uh, the majority of them were carried out by a lone wolf. All of them were by male, and the average age of that was of that male was 18. Most of these shooters have a relation to their targeted school. 12 of the 14 shooters in the database were either current or former students of the school. This most recent shooting in Texas, Uvalde, Texas, is not included because the information has not been made public yet or made clear yet. Now, in their book, The Violence Project, their research and interviews uh, suggest that these mass shooters, their purpose of the mass shooting itself is supposed to be some kind of final act of some sort. And out of, their, out of the 15 mass shooters in their database, only seven were taken into custody. The rest died on scene by suicide, except for the most recent Texas shooter. Densley and Pearson say that some of these shooters were motivated by, quote, fame and notoriety, unquote. However, the point, or they point to the majority of them being motivated by, quote, generalized anger, continuing, path to violence involves self-hate hate, and despair towards turn outward on the, at the world excuse me, unquote. But finally, the authors conclude that these shooters often communicate their intent to commit violence against others as some kind of final desperate act, say for help or whatever <coughs> it may be. And they mm -hmm. also stress the vitality of picking up on these signs beforehand and actually acting on them. I know that was a lot, but I wanted to get that out there. I want to hear your thoughts on it. I also want the audience to be able to hear it as well, because I think those indicators that, that the definition meets line up pretty consistently in terms of age, um, lone wolf style attack, all of them kill themselves, except for the most recent one who were, who ended up dead and not taken into custody, which I think is very interesting. And there were signs beforehand, as you mentioned, hindsight's 2020, but I think there's something to be said about all that. Well, some of the questions I have, I mean, and again, a colleague, they, they do their own research and they have their own empirical data and everything else. I mean, to me, uh, four people that's a mass shooting. I got a homicide in a public location. I mean, okay, most of them are going to occur in a public location. We got that. 
but you, you want to talk, you want to take out the, the variable of gangs and stuff like that. To me, an idiot's an idiot. Be it a gang, be it whoever, whatever. An idiot is an idiot, right? That said, looking at school shootings, I think part of the problem is, is that we get saturated in the media by it. With the 24-hour media cycle and everything else, I mean, you're just getting saturated by this stuff. It, it's, it's endless. And, and different things happen. And, and I get it. I, like, I mean, yeah, this is a tragedy. But make, make, make no mistake. I mean, this is a tragedy. It's horrible. Anytime a kid is killed for some reason like this because of some idiot, I mean, it, it's tragic. But again, until we have a, a, a sit-down conversation and we start getting all the politics off and get out all the demographics and all the race stuff and all the other foolishness and have a legitimate conversation about this stuff, that's what's going to have to happen. And, and until we do, I don't, I don't think we're going to make any traction and we're going to be throwing out thoughts and prayers and all the other good stuff until the next one happens. Okay, again, we're, we're at the mercy of the media and the politicians until the media and the politicians decide to stop politicizing this, stop getting it, stop running with this every 10 minutes as a, as a breaking news event and all this other stuff. Yeah, we, we want to know what happens. But something that you, you brought up, one of the points you brought up was the fact that they want, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the quote like I do, everybody wants 15 minutes of fame. Okay, here's the way I'm going to do it. And then you run into copycats and then you run into other stuff and things of that nature. But until these, these mayors and these district attorneys and these police chiefs, they, they get this political stuff out of their head and start looking and say, what, I, I need a holistic view on that. Okay, so let's say this, hypothetically, um, you ban assault rifles. All assault rifles are banned. Okay, so my question would be, okay, what if, what if Dan was caught with an assault rifle? What, what, what do we do then? Yeah, I mean, there'll be some legal be charged. Word to probably first offender, no, no big deal, stuff like that. He's going to be told, uh, you be, you stop that, be a good boy, and the revolving system. You're going to get sent up the street. You could have had a mental health issue. You could have any number of things. Now think about this, okay? You're going to. What are the chances you going to find another rifle? You see what I'm saying? I mean, until they they, they start doing something with these assault weapons. And again, I hate calling them assault weapons because that's just, uh, to me, that's another media term. But what they need to do is if you're caught illegally with a firearm, because most of these shootings, be it a school, there's, there's usually an indicator. Uh, this guy had no um, prior criminal arrest or no prior criminal record, but he did have some indicators uh, through social media and stuff like that. Some of the other um, um, school shootings did, did have criminal arrest. They did have indicators if something was wrong. Going to the red flag laws, you got to have these laws that have some teeth. I mean, throwing more laws on the book. I mean, it, if I'm a career criminal and I, and I want to go smoke somebody and all that other stuff, you, you really think I'm going to get uptight about being caught with an illegal gun? Because all they're going to do is take it from me and send me up the street. Now, if we go back to the days when the ATF, if you were a felon in possession of a firearm, and the ATF got involved, and the U.S. Attorney's Office got involved, and people like that got involved, you got 10 years flat time. I mean, it's flat. There was no negotiation, yeah. not probation, parole, suspension of sentence. You did 10 years. You're gone. Okay. That's the stuff we need to get back to. And but, until we start getting that going, I, I don't think we're going to make any progress. The, I kind of disagree on that. Like last part, I'm not saying that pun, uh, legal consequences shouldn't be harsh for, say, violating a gun law. I'm sure that could be a part of it. But as I mentioned, their research found that this is some kind of final act. Only one died by a cop. Now, mm -hmm. 
this is supposed to be some kind of say uh manifest of something this isn't yeah so like a manifesto when they type yeah. their letter up and everything else and all the other stuff but again you you need, but they're not looking to get this information mm-hmm. no go ahead brother no yeah but they're not looking for that um way out they're not looking for they're not thinking about the next day they're not thinking about 10 years from now they, they mm. most of them killed themselves and only one died by cop the most recent one so i mm. don't if and the thing is i think we really have to um, make the difference between gun violence or are we talking about gun violence or we're we talking about school shootings because i think they're entirely different you know where the number of two if you could trace back the number of like these mass shootings that like you hear like a number of like 212 they're gonna happen with a handgun they're not gonna happen with these AO. So we're trying to solve two different issues at the same time, which have two different solutions. Oh yeah. We're talking about, I mean, gun, you, you we're talking about gun violence. I agree with you. I, mm-hmm. you know, you make those harsher gun laws. We're talking about school shootings. I think it's there's a lot of psychological things, like certain like things such as fatherless homes. I don't know. I know this guy, this most recent guy came from a fatherless home. I don't know about the rest. However, what I will say is that there's more to it. I was watching a TED talk not too long ago with some uh, some dude, some man. He was talking about his childhood, how his parents hated him. They would put cigarette cigarette buds out on him. And he was going to, he said, I'm going to commit like a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be a school, it's going to be where or there. But the only thing that stopped him was a friend. That's what he says. And he was crying about it. He felt terrible that he could actually rationalize himself to like doing such an act or committing such an act. And one person stopped it and it wasn't, it was so small. It, it was just a friend. It was just a friend. I'm not saying, I'm not asking for or requesting any kind of sympathy for these shooters. Nothing condones or justifies. No, but their uh, again, acts, if you can catch, but, if you can catch it before it starts, if you can see that cry for help, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can pick up on that, because you go back to the, the one that really, really kicked off when I, I started thinking about starting doing research on mass shooters was Cho at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And you look at that, and when you start dissecting and analyzing it, as soon as the, 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 the first couple of rounds were fired, and they started locking down the school and everything else. And, and an English teacher, an English professor at Virginia Tech says, that's probably Cho. They saw that indicator. They saw something mm-hmm. going on. And again, I, I think, yeah, and I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you that val- um, validity to the argument, but we, we've got to get ahead of this. We've got to get our, our, our political skins off. We've got to get our, our, our budget skins off. We've got to get our right, wrong skins off. And we've got to take that holistic view because be it a mass shooting, be it a school shooting, be it a gang-related shooting, at the end of the day, a homicide is a homicide. I mean, that, that's just the way that I got to see it. But I'm going back to what I was originally saying, we've got to work on the mental health in the country. There's a lot of people that are against the red flag laws, but again, if I said something really out to lunch on your podcast, I would, I would like to hope that you pick up local law enforcement and say, hey, look, man, this guy, I just interviewed, he said some crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's you intervening. Yeah. That, that's you yeah. getting ahead of this thing. And people complain about that, and it's about the cops overstanding their boundaries and all the other stuff, but there's a lot more to that. When I was a police officer down here, I would look at some of this stuff and we would do um, emergency committals. And what it would take is I would go on scene. I would talk to a person. I would have to make the determination if the person was a danger to themselves or a danger to others. And I, I swear my report would be like three and four pages long. What I saw, what was going on, 
uh, uh, what, what was happening. I mean, everything. I mean, doing that emergency committal. And then the process in Louisiana is you got to go through the coroner's office for the emergency committal. Hmm. So, again, there, there's times where we're getting ahead of this stuff. And that's what it's going to take. And again, until we get the politicians and the media and, and get the chiefs of police on board and the local law enforcement on board and the mayors and the district attorneys on board, dragging the school administrators. Let's start talking to these guys. Let's get them on board. Let's start talking and having that conversation. Like I, like I said, um, they're 12 out of the 14 uh, shooters in the database, not including the most recent one because the information hasn't been made clear yet were current or former students of the school. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, something is said to be there or something's something <laughs> has to be said right there. Like there's obviously there's indicators as uh, the research as uh, densely and Pearson points out mm -hmm. schools are seems like a ground for this of where um, a lot of the things pop up, such as indicators. I think in a school you would see, a lot of the indicators because maybe they're neglected at home and the parents aren't really going to be the ones to pick up on this, but maybe their teacher will, or maybe the principal or fellow student might. So as you point out, I think um, that is definitely a huge part of it. And I think red flag laws are, are they're well intent or intended. And I think they should be like, as you said, if you say something crazy and with some serious intent as well, you know, that's, there should some be intervention. There's like a wellness checkup or something. The only concern that I could see some validity with is like, oh, who is the one doing that? But at the end of the day, I mean, you have to make it clear. Just set the parameters for what meets and what doesn't. Mm. For sure. And that's where it gets tricky. <laughs> because, again, that's when you talk about setting parameters and everything else, I mean, I, it, it, when you're looking at data and you quote percentages and this, this number out of this number and everything else, it's really hard to make a judgment call because until you actually are literally sometimes a clinical psychologist or something like that, sitting down with somebody. I mean, if I walked up to your house right now at the door and said, look, I got a phone call that says you made a comment on a podcast and everything else. And you could come back with it. Nah, man, man, me, me and Prof Professor Allen, we were just goofing off and talking and blah, 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 and everything else. Okay. Cops can ask, or you, you feel like you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else, man, nah, get out of here. I'm good. Don't worry about it. I'm walking off. The, I'm walking away. Okay. That okay, but at what point does there say that I've got to get involved? That, that's where the tricky part is. It's definitely a complex issue for sure. It's not something that I agree with you. I don't think banning all assault rifle type weapons are going is going to have the desired effect that we all want. And I just don't think it's. I don't think that's right either way. And so it's even more so of a reason not to do it. But I think it's a multifaceted issue. I think obviously background checks, even though this most recent person passed background check, but red flag laws. I mean, after the Parkland shooting, Florida enacted a red flag law. So I think that is a crucial part of it. And just overall as a society, thinking just switching the thing, like the outlook towards things, such as just addressing it on the individual. So if I hear something as it got pointed out, it's not just um, the ignore, ignoring it and putting it off. It's the acting on it. But as you point, as you mentioned, it's like, how far does that really go though? If officer shows up, you can brush it off. But the thing is, you're also, at least what I can tell, not mentally ill. If you know, you could come in, it depends how say sophisticated the person is. I saw a picture of this person. They seem quite disturbed. 
they had they were living in a home with their grandmother. There was no father. I think there's some other indicators there. I think also if this is just me who's saying it, okay, that's one thing. But he, I, the Wendy's thing, I saw that he was um getting in fights at work, whether they be verbal or um, physical. Uh, he was saying things, um, say as you mentioned, hurting animals. Like that's two big things right there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, and the, the indicators are out there, but again, the, the, the million dollar question is at what point would you have to react? Because again, God bless these cops, man. They're, they're great people doing, doing a, a horrible job sometimes. And I don't mean like doing a horrible job, but having to do some just like stuff that no average person should ever have to deal with. And, and again, God bless them. I mean, I went into the police department right after I finished my time in the Marine Corps, no college or anything like that. I was just somebody looking for a job. And I got involved in, it's like, I went through a training academy. I rode with a field training officer. Hey, here's your badge and gun. Go out and do great things. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, that's okay. That's the thing, like, just overall different uh, issue for a different time, but is, um, uh, say, more training and police reform is part of that more training, more in-depth training. So officers aren't really being thrown out there with these um, subpar skills, you know, whether that just be like soft skills, just talking to people or actually what, when or not to use a firearm and mm-hmm. things. Of and that's a trap. I mean, we, we could go into a whole nother discussion about yeah. police reform and everything else. I, I mean, that's, that's a rabbit hole. We could go down quick, dude. Yeah. Most cops are good dudes, man, but the, the, the communities ask a lot of police officers. They ask you to go get deal with the domestic violence as a social worker. They ask you to go deal with a mentally disturbed person. Now they're asking you to be a psychologist. They, they ask you to go solve an armed robbery. Now you're asking to be a, um, a detective and a criminal investigator. And most street cops, are they, they know what to do. They know what they're doing. So, But they're just trying to figure it out as they go along. Well, maybe it shouldn't be a cop that comes to the door. Honestly, I only think a cop would be the best idea coming to someone's door who's, say, on the fringe. Because mm-hmm. that might just push them. That might just be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now I'm like on the fringe, not sure like what reality is and what's not and what I should like do and not do. And then I have a cop like saying, hey, are you, are you OK? A cop that's not, probably not qualified to be asking these questions. You might just push me off the edge. You know, mm-hmm. you're just like now I am crazy. I have the police at my door. So I think it probably could be someone else, probably in the school setting. Um, we were asked about uh, in a security risk analysis class what you, you should do, what would you do if you found this kid who was like stapling a chair with a stapler, like a, a thousand times, like literally the number, like a thousand times. And most people really call the police, get the police involved. I was like, I'm not so sure actually, because I mean, aside from damaging property, really, what's he doing? Well, it's just more or less alarming. It's, that's the thing. It's like, this is like an indicator of like some kind of like a uh, more troubling sign, some kind of omen. And I don't, agree with that i mean i don't disagree with that but i think what i um what i would say is have someone else be doing the work and not just the police so you can't just i don't think throwing the police into that job would say be they, they're not qualified to do that in my opinion i i don't know what kind of training they're given to deal with some kind of like psyche bail but i don't think it's much if any so i think that'd be more of a psychologist perhaps a school psychologist maybe that could be more of an answer to a school problem. nurse school, school's got to School nurse, school psychologist, anything like that. And you, you, you brought up a great point because these teachers and these principals are interacting with these students on a regular basis. They know when something's amiss. They, they kind of got a vibe with the students and everything else. 
And also some of the students, they can kind of tell like, hey, Rob's acting a little weird. Dan's acting a little strange. Maybe I should take a look at this. Yeah. And, and if anything, that gets you on the radar. Parkland, Florida, the FBI took a beating because they, they correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in Parkland, the, it was either state or, state or federal or local law enforcement. They showed up at this kid's house. Yes. I mean, that, that's going to take a, that means you were on the radar. Now, and this is where you get into the tricky stuff. I mean, does the local have the, the budgets and the money to show up at every tip, every call, every 911 call or anything like that? No, they don't. And there's a bureaucracy. If I went on a 911 call at your house and I see you're acting weird and okay, I'm going to start sending the information out. It's going to go through, uh, go through my boss and it's going to go to maybe the detective bureau. Then it may go to the psychology guys and it may go up to the FBI if they warrant something with the FBI, state police. I mean, you're looking at all these layers of bureaucracy. This thing's got to work itself through. Yeah, and in the I, interim, you could be going out there and doing bad things to people. And that's why I think that maybe it should be a different route. But at the same time, law enforcement would have to get involved if it warranted it. I mean, in the Parkland shooting, and honestly, I would say this one, I, I think in some sense, it's a failure of like law enforcement. It's not totally on them, but I, I see on face value in this case, and then in the Parkland shooting, a failure on law enforcement, not law enforcement as a whole, but the people who pertain to that situation. I mean, that's personally how I um, view it. Uh, in Parkland, he was on FBI list. Why was that not addressed more? Why, like people knew. In this situation, he was in the classroom shooting, shooting at kids and the teacher. They, they, the, why was why did someone not go in there? Parents were willing to go in there, but the officials at the scene prevented them. Yeah, I wish you'd try to stop me to go in there and get my kid. I, I, I really want you to try to do that. Yeah, that, that was. I don't know how they honestly did, but I mean, they they had their tasers drawn. I actually believe someone was tased. So, I mean, it's it's an awful situation all around. No one's going to mm. be. I'm not quick to pass judgment. I don't even prefer like doing it. I'm not exactly in passing judgment, but I'm saying this, this is terrible. And that's, I think that's a terrible kind of way to react on the Parkland's case, not addressing it. But in this case, just stand out waiting for a tactical unit while people are dying. I just mm -hmm. like, I was in their shoes. And I think that's a fair point to pick out, but at the same time that like your job is to serve and protect and I don't think yeah. you were done in their case. About an officer not going into the school. So they, they took a beating on that. Oh yeah, and the mm -hmm. yeah, the parking yeah, the resource officer. Yeah, and that that's again the the school resource officers. We had, we really didn't touch on that too much, but I I, th I don't think you can overstate how important that is. Because mm -hmm. again, these cops are interacting with these students. They they're talking to these kids. The cop worth this talk to these kids, man. These these kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for sometimes. Even at that young age, they they man, they know when something's wrong and know when something's amiss. Now, are they able to verbalize like maybe a junior high school? a student or maybe a, a, a high school student or something like that as an elementary school? Probably not. But the, these guys know when something's not right. They, they, they call it a tremor in the force or something like that. But some of these kids are pretty intuitive. And that's why I think it would be in the best interest for some of these police officers. Again, I was never school resource officers. I can't comment on that. But interacting with these kids, talking to these teachers, talking to these principals, uh, setting up what we call the military force protection measures, locking doors, uh, the doing drills, I mean, all that other stuff. If you can get a good 80 to 90% solution at the end of the day, man, I'm convinced we'd save lives. I mean, in my high school, doors were locked. I think that's just a simple, I, 
regardless of safety, like regardless of like any kind of school shooting, there should be no one in the building that's not accounted for. They're really, oh, yeah. Just, yeah, just that's a that's one right there. And that's the thing. Like, I think we both see eye eye on maybe not exactly everything, but on the things that's it's a multifaceted solution. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not linear. It's not oh, we're at A. We just have to do this to get the B. And now it's no, a, no it's that's not how it's gonna be. And it's a tragedy. That's not how it's gonna be. And for anybody to think that's that would be the case, that's just absurd. I agree. And that's the thing. Like, I, I would like to have a converse, conversations with some like people who may think that, but I don't know how willing to be able to talk. I mean, I follow a lot of people saying my age on social media, college age, and a lot of people <clears> do <throat> that. And that's fine. Like, I'm not say attacking that belief in and of itself, but I believe that a lot of those people would not be willing to say, sit on the table and have a conversation mm-hmm. about it. Well, like, and again, going back to Cho in Virginia Tech, he used a pistol. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, again, okay, now you're going to ban all pistols in the country? And that's at all-time low. According to a uh, Gallup poll found that out of like 835 adults uh, throughout the entire country, all 50 states, only 19% of people supported that. And more mm-hmm. gun, and record number of guns were bought in the year of, I think, 2020 it was. Well, and that's what we're looking at right now because – and I'm not going to say correlation proves causation, but the cops took a beating – a couple years back, I mean, getting into the <coughs> police reform stuff, the cops took a beating. I mean, they did. Now, now, some of it was deserved. Some of it wasn't deserved. But I, again, you take the totality of the circumstances involved. I mean, there, there were some things that the police officers did. It's like, yeah, dude, what are you doing, man? And again, when you see video of somebody getting shot in the back, I mean, literally shot in the back, you can't justify it. I, I mean, there are rare, rare circumstances where I could justify shooting somebody in the back. Uh, for example, if I walked into the theater in Aurora where they had the midnight showing of Batman and I saw this guy just, just shooting into the crowds and everything else, and all of a sudden he runs out, I chase him into the back, I shoot him in the back while he's over a fence, I did the right thing because it's safe to say he's going to commit more crimes, he's going to commit more murders, and in defense of my argument, I prevented him from committing another murder. It's like, that's, that's one of the very rare circumstances. Uh, shooting somebody in the back when they're walking away from you or running away from you, they're not posing a threat. They just decide they didn't want to be bothered by the cops. And you shoot them in the back, dude, you're done. There's, there's no way you're, you're going to be able to cover that. Okay. So, again, that, again, going back to the cops and everything else, people got to the point where it's like, okay, if the cops can't help me, if the politicians aren't going to help me and they're going to try to ban this, I'm going to protect myself. Well, most people bought, I think, when they asked in that same gal poll, why? It was like, because I might have to, like, why did you buy a gun? It was like, because I might have to protect myself against uh, someone committing a crime or it just for my own safety. It was something of that sort. So it's a self-defense reason why most people are buying, which is says something of itself. And that's the thing. Like, I believe trust in the government is also at all time low. It's only less than a quarter, 24 per se percent of a poll by pure research found most recently, only 24% have believed that the government will do the thing. will do the right thing about always or most of the time, and only 24% of people fell uh, in that category. Yeah, that's, again, I'll, I'll, thanks for the input. I mean, like Ronald Reagan's famous 13 words, I'm from the government, I'm here yeah. to help. Thanks, mm-hmm. dude, I got this. I'll take care of myself. Yeah, no, for sure. But Robert, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I think we had a great conversation. I think it's Absolutely. one of the many I want to do on this topic. And for you to be the first, I really appreciate it. And once again, thank you for your time. All right, man. Feel free to reach out if there's ever anything I can do for you. Thank you. I I definitely will. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate it. Uh, All right, buddy. Take care.